we can start now, right? This week, I don't have presentation, but we can just go through the questions. Um, let's say if you have any questions, you can just uh, mute, uh, unmute and then you can just speak. I think we would just, if, if there's any topics that you guys want to talk about, just let me know. Uh, we don't have to strictly follow the slide though. I think we'll give priority to whoever joined the sessions, right? The live session. It's just that just now this morning, I saw the uh, post from uh, Mark, right? Mentioned about like uh, looking at popular risks in uh, Singapore and study what other investors are doing, right? So I think you mentioned about like long time, uh, you are a long time investor with holding power. Is it safe to say I can slowly build up my REITs portfolio, reinvest dividend, and hopefully 10 years later, I have a stable passive income? So I think uh, we'll start out with this uh, question first, then we go to Slido. Um, you know, when I look at this, right, I think we, we should look at REITs uh, investment as like a, a sub-asset class within the equities uh, equities market. Lah. So, you know, in stock market, there's different industry, right? And REITs is the, is the sub-asset class of uh, real estate. Because if you buy a REITs, uh, you are actually buying the companies, right? The holding companies that own all these uh, REITs assets, right? And, and the business model is very simple. It's just a rental and then collect the rental, uh, like maybe after do some upgrades and so on. And then it's, it's very simple business. Uh, not so much like, you know, other tech companies that, you know, they have to do R&D, all the fancy stuff, right? So REITs is a lot simpler. And when it comes to cash flow, also much more predictable because um, I think they have a mandate to need to pay out certain percentage of the uh, rev, the rentals, right? So they want to make it much more, how to say, transparent and not so much pattern, uh, like you don't have to care so much about their overall strategy, right? Because as long as you know what are the assets that they're holding and you know the uh, capacity to generate rentals from those assets, right? I think more or less that's the return that you can expect. Um, other than type of assets, I think maybe a little bit on to the, their capital structure, how much is their uh, gearing ratio, all these things you also need to know. But what I'm trying to say is that maybe just treat this as a separate, uh, how to say, like a group of investments, right? Um, with certain characteristics, uh, which is based on rental, right? This is one group. And then if you say, okay, if not just REITs, right? Maybe we can look at, let's say, banks. And then that's another group, right? Because their business model is totally different, right? So for REITs, it's rental. For banks, right? It's mostly they, they earn the returns from uh, like uh, lending, mortgage, all these things, right? So they were subject to different uh, macroeconomic factors. And then um, the growth factors will be different also. For example, for REITs, uh, what we care about is, let's say if it is a more REITs, then we care about whether the, uh, whether their tenants are doing well, whether the business is doing well or not. But when it comes to banks, right, then we care more about like, okay, uh, the housing market doing okay because if the housing market is healthy, more people are buying houses and then there will be more uh, mortgage generated, right? So, you know, there are dri different, how to say, um, driven by different factors. Uh, um, if you're comparing banks versus streets. And then if you go to tech or consumer items, that's another different groups, right? So maybe like my, my advice is that, um, yeah, there's one angle, which is like we look at the uh, our style, right? For example, like you can say, I just want to buy REITs, uh, collect uh, the dividends and then take the dividends and buy more REITs, right? This is how we invest. This is the the how part, but when it comes to what to buy, right? Like which investment to buy, then maybe 
uh, don't look at risk just because they are dividends and you say, okay, I, I just want to aim for the dividends. Uh, because ultimately, if you compare banks versus REITs versus tech companies, right, like, or, or other sectors, right, what, uh, like their long-term returns still have to come back to the fundamental uh, of the business and also the, the, how much cash flow that they can generate. Uh, it's not so much on the dividends that they are able to pay, you know. It's always the business, the growth of the business first. And then secondly, uh, out of the growth or out of the free cash flow that they generated, how much they are paying to us in the form of dividends, right? Yeah. So it's all, like I would say, this kind of mindset that just uh, accumulate assets and then um, take the dividends and just compound the dividends. I think these are all good uh, way or good approach of investment. Um, I think compared to trading, this is like just accumulate assets, right? So much more dependable. Uh, doesn't require a lot of skill also, I think, as long as you stay with the good quality assets, right? So I think that's a good good way to uh, approach investment. It's just that when comparing different um investment then you need to understand their underlying business model uh, and that will inform you to make a uh, uh, better selections so, yeah i think that's um, my take on that anyone want to add on this uh, we are talking about the reads uh, questions that not a, a question it's just a, a comment from mark uh, like and on 1025 in a group right so just want to quickly touch on in a bit anyone want to any any opinion on this yeah, um, that, that's right. Because when it comes to dividend investing, right, actually, it is not recommended to buy uh, US um, companies. Because if you buy a US REITs, right, then you will subject to 30% uh, withholding tax, meaning that every $100 of dividend that the company declare, $30 will be paid to the US government, and you only get like 70% of the dividends. So because this is just like accumulated assets, right? And Singapore REITs is also like, there are quite a number of high quality REITs. Some of the Singapore REITs, right, they even uh, have assets outside of Singapore, right? Actually, quite a number of them actually have uh, assets outside. So they have uh, assets in Europe, some, some in US. Um, so I think you can still get uh, exposure that is outside of Singapore, but don't buy those uh, listed in US uh, just because of the withholding tax. 30% is quite a huge proportion, you know. I see, I'm not, uh, just want to hear your opinion on this. It's, it's, so, sorry, Martin, uh, I think your, your mic uh, is just too soft that I can't really uh, hear the content. But I'll just uh, quickly comment the, the, um, the part that I, I, I just I, I heard what you said. Um, my take is that we should all invest uh, in local REITs. If, the, if your focus in, in, is into like investing in REITs, you should focus on those listed in Singapore. Just because uh, for Singapore REITs, $100 of dividend that re you receive, right? Then you will receive like $100. You don't have to pay the 30% withholding tax. For US listed REITs, you have to pay that 30%. And that alone, right, already like a huge um, portion that you need to pay to government, right? So it's really not recommended to buy US listed REITs. But for those uh, listed on Singapore, 
there are many different types of REITs, right? There are more REITs, office REITs, uh, industrial, and, and so on, right? And all these REITs, if you go to their annual report and you read their assets, right, they will tell you like, okay, how many percent is in Singapore, in Hong Kong, in Germany? They, they will they have a list of assets and you just need to understand like, okay, uh, what type of these assets and then where are they uh, located, right? And you can make an assessment on whether you want to buy the REITs. Because let's say if the risk, uh, there's more than 50% is in US or more than 80% is in US and you are bearish on US, then you shouldn't buy those, right? You should buy those that uh, assets that you think in, in geography that are doing well, right? So that one, I don't have an opinion to say, okay, you should buy those that have global di uh, diversified risk. That's, that's not my point. My point is that you should buy those listed in Singapore. Whether the assets are in Singapore or outside of Singapore, that one is really up to your own preference. Uh. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that's the that's the uh, question I was about to ask. Uh, that uh, it's just, it's more of we have to depend on our own uh, assessment on the the conditions where, or rather, the what kind of uh, uh, properties that they are invest. Uh, what kind of properties that they currently own, and uh, what is what will be their likely development over the over the next uh two to three, over the next few uh, time horizons. So, I I guess you have answered my question. Thanks. Okay, thank, thanks. I just want to say that your your sound quality is perfect now. <laughs> yeah, and just now I was using my iPad. Uh, maybe the iPad mic was uh, the default mic wasn't that good, so I switched to my earpiece. Thanks, thanks again for answering. <laughs> okay, sounds good, sounds good. Okay, all right. Any anyone else want to add? If not, we just go to the slido. Or hey, I saw Calvin is here. Billions achiever also here. Okay. Before we start, I just want to ask Kevin any comment on on Tesla de delivery, any any insight or anything that you want to share. I think you are still on mute. Uh, if not convenient to speak, then we just go to Sido first. Hello. Yes, can hear you now. Hello. I, I can hear you, Kevin. Hello, Kevin, I can hear you. Hello. Yes, can hear you. I hear you. Can, okay. Uh, so I think they have done uh, very well, especially considering the headwinds that is uh, that happened in the uh, first quarter. So the consensus came in, they have uh, exceeded slightly. I wouldn't say this is a huge win, but uh, especially with the headwinds, I think they have uh, shown that they are quite re resilient in weathering these conditions. Lah. Because we need to consider that the fact that if you compare with the competitors, everything, every almost every competitor is down by like, in the US market is down by like uh, double digits. So I think, uh, and also, uh, historically speaking, uh, the first quarter of every year is very slow for uh, automotive companies. So I think uh, that will be quite exciting to see how they will grow further uh, in the future. So hopefully that the uh, pandemic problem in China will be uh, reduced and also hopefully the supply chain gets better. Uh, and lastly, the Berlin and Texas can quickly uh, uh, serve the, the, the demand uh, that has. And one more thing I want to add is that the inventory now is very low. So there is a risk that uh, if Tesla 
were to shut down Shanghai or maybe for another couple of days or maybe weeks, right? There might be an issue where they will lose a big chunk of revenue lah, because they got no more cars to sell. So that is an issue as well. So just to take note for on that part. Sure, when you say uh, inventory, this is like the cars that has been uh, manufactured or is it like parts uh, that is like, um, let's say partially manufactured? Uh? How, in, what was, yeah. in car industry, they have, uh, they, they do count the inventory. That means cars that are manufactured and ready, but no seller yet, uh, no buyer yet, sorry. No buyer, but uh, or not, not the inventory in the sense of like um, materials and half built. Uh, cars, uh. No, because that one is a different part of the reporting. Okay, okay. I see, I see. Okay, um, yeah, thank, thanks a lot for the for yeah, the update, so, I think. Yeah, this is Martin here also. Uh, another question, because I've been reading like, also both sides, right? A lot, the general consensus is they are building, I mean, the, the results are really uh, considered good in terms of uh, since because there are supply chain challenges, right? But why, what, what makes the, although there's a lot of differing points like the Tesla bears, right? That says, uh, this is not exceeding expectations, uh, although by a slight margin, any opinions, why they say such things? Because this is, I mean, at least I, I don't feel that it's, they didn't do well. Uh, so just want to hear some opinions on this. Uh, if you go back into history, right, you will see that the Tesla bears are usually shifting their goalposts whenever the whenever they are proven wrong. Uh. So uh, I'm not sure what argument are they giving this time, but just look back at the uh, two years, three years back, right? Uh, whatever they say might happen didn't happen, and then they then they will change their narrative. So if looking back at history. Uh, usually we can know that they are not coming from a very sound basis. Uh. So just take uh, what you think is uh, reasonable. Uh. Don't don't take everything what they say is uh, as uh, the truth. Sure, sure, of course. Uh, I let numbers, I feel numbers should speak for itself. So I, I definitely agree on this. Yeah, one example, if you look back into the history, right? Last time the Tesla bears, they actually like, uh, send drones or people to go to the factories and count the cars at the parking lot, you know. So the first thing, sometimes they say, hey, there's no cars. Then they say, the factories are not building any cars. It's all a fraud. And then the next next few weeks, right, they see, oh, they are full of cars. Then they say, oh, the cars cannot sell because nobody wants them. So you, you know where they are coming from, law. Yeah, I think that's a problem with today's uh, media, right? Because you, you see, there's not much uh, media that try to report neutral stuff. I mean, coming from a ne more neutral perspective. Uh, I think uh, it both sides as well, right? Let's say, um, I mean, people are either bullish and or, or bearish. And then for those uh, that's bearish, every news is like bad news. And for the bullish one also, every news is like, like good news, right? So I think uh, for... For companies like Tesla, there's always like different camps. Uh. So uh, I think that's also why the two groups are uh, very hard to talk to each other. But with that said, I think a uh, good thing is that, uh, you know, last two weeks we have seen interview between uh, Chiking and also uh, Darren. I think that's a good conversation, you know. Uh, Alibaba and Tesla always not, uh, <laughs> when it comes to investors, I think uh, not much overlap. Uh, but those are good, good discussion. Yep. Okay. I think uh, let's go back to the Slido. Uh, I think we have quite a number of questions also. Let's start with the first one. Uh, is it a good time to buy into tech now? 
is the discount good? Recession coming will affect and drop lower. I'll just uh, pass around first. Uh, uh, see anyone want to give your opinions? Kelvin, do you have any view or Hayden? I, I actually have no opinion on this because I don't really uh, time the market much. So I can't really say. Uh, just from my perspective is that uh, I've been buying when it's down, when it's up. La, just uh, consistently a bit, a bit. Oh. Yeah. I think my, my view also same as you. Uh, because I, I don't know why people always asking, like, is it a good time? Is it a good time? Like, what are we comparing against, right? If we are comparing against now versus the 52-week high, of course, now it's better, right? <laughs> so it's, it's cheaper. So, but whether from today's onwards, uh, I mean, if we look at past one or two weeks, I think the index has been climbing, right? For example, like if we look at QQQ, sorry, QQQ, yeah, uh, it's climbing, right? Uh, whether it will continue to climb or whether, let's say, uh, like we will have a 50 basis point hike and then suddenly people freak out about new curve inversion and another sell-off, right? All this could happen, right? So it's very hard to say, okay, now it's a good time or bad time now. I, I think this is uh, very hard to answer. If, is the discount good? I also don't understand what does the discount here mean? Because if you compare with like 52-week high, of course, there will, there will always be a discount, right? It could be like 1% or 5% discount. Or it could be like 20% discount, let's say, uh, when, when it dropped uh, two, two or three weeks back, right? Or, or is it like you, you are comparing against the intrinsic value, right? If you are con comparing against your intrinsic value, then we need to ask like how, how you arrive at the intrinsic value, what kind of growth rate that you are putting into your assumptions. So this is uh, like no, no straight uh, forward answer. And the recession things also is, is another thing, right? Like now, if you watch YouTube videos, they talk about the yield curve inversion. And I think someone mentioned about uh, Adam Kuhl's video, right? Um, like even with a yield curve inversion, it's not like the stock market will crash in the next three months, right? It could be like three months, six months, nine months, or one and a half years. Then the, the correction that will come could be like, what, 5%, 2%? or 15%, right? So it's like, with that, very hard to, to be used as any indicator that's, that's helpful, right? So I don't have, to be sure, I don't have answer as well. So I'll stop here. Anyone else want to give some comment or your any, any opinion on the first one? Uh, maybe just to build on this question, right? Like, uh, when, we, when they say, when, they, when we ask about whether it is a good time to buy into tech, but tech can be not just the, the ones that we know about. How about fintech? Because I think fintech is also some, fintech companies are also some sort of examples where it's very underexplored at the moment. So, so sorry, can you say again? C C uh, like, like fintech companies, fintech. Uh, for example? Uh, I hear from my colleague who she is also investing in that, uh, Square. I think it's, it's wait, let, me, let me see my watch list. It's, you mean Square, PayPal, this, this kind of companies, right? Yes, yes. Specifically focusing on fintech. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when we say tech, it's a very big, broad, broad stroke category, right? But what kind of tech companies also? So maybe, mm. maybe that is, is kind of, maybe that question is specifically on this, 
uh, I, I mean, I, I'm also trying to find out like the, the general sentiment when we say invest in tech. What kind of tech? You know, like not disruptive tech or, or fintech and, and so on. Uh. So uh, just want to hear like, the general consensus on, on, on this. Okay. Yeah, I think you are totally right um you know tech now i think nowadays most companies will have tech aren't they? <laughs> uh, it's just it's just like you can't get away from tech right like and then under this like big category of tech there are different kind of techs right some companies say okay c limited is a tech companies but if you look into the details right what why we call it tech companies right shopee is a e-commerce uh, business and then their garena is a gaming business right then is gaming considered tech as well so yes and no but so that's why i said um tech is like this group is just too big that uh doesn't help us to like pinpoint what are we trying to say right it should be much more precise so you are right that okay fintech is one group uh, for example like uh square uh, or now it's known as block and then we have PayPal, and then you can in include a uh, Visa, Mastercard as well in, in in the same group, right? Uh, this I will call it as a payment company rather than like a fin, uh, uh tech companies, right? Yes, there are tech, there are actually within the companies, right? There are a lot of like um uh, different projects uh try to like leverage on the technology, new technology that is coming to help out uh to facilitate payment, uh, all, all sorts of initiatives are. It's true that there are tech companies. It's just that the labor of tech companies just to group all of them together uh, doesn't help. So. But with regards to block, right, actually I have some small investment. I liquidated most of them, but I still keep, I think, five shares. Um, yeah, I actually I don't have a view, not much, like, like a very strong view on this uh, area. I think that this, uh, although they are like payment companies, but if you try to understand like how good they are doing, right, they are still very much um, tied to the economy because their revenue source, right, I think it still come back to how much uh, payment that they facilitate, right? For example, take PayPal ex ex uh, example, right? If you uh, use PayPal to make a payment, right, they take a cut, right? So you can see that if the GDP is growing well and then people are spending, consumer spending are all increasing, right? Then uh, their numbers will look good, right? Because they are taking uh, taking a cut so it's that simple you know so let's say eco economy is doing well right then they will be doing well so um but let's say if e economy let's say gdp growth slow down right um their numbers will drop as well so on that sense right they are like just normal traditional business not so much on like uh anything any anything fancy uh that will drive their core business yeah, that, that's I think true for a blog. It's true for uh PayPal as well. But come back to blog, I would say uh one thing that is different is that they are much more into crypto, especially Bitcoin. Uh. Um, yeah, I don't know what they plan to do. Maybe this one uh next time if YCX is around, maybe we can ask him more because you know he pay a lot of attention on all this initiative into like Bitcoin area, right? So I think that's uh something that set a uh, blog apart. But other than that, they are closely trapped with the economy. La. I think that, that's my, my point, my, my view. Anyone want to, yeah. Martin, I think your, your, your voice is like come back to just now very soft already, can't hear much. Is, is it okay? Still, still very soft. soft. Okay. 
I, I heard you say about cyclical stocks. I don't know whether, I, I don't think we will label these kind of companies as uh, cyclical stocks. Uh. Cyclical ones are usually those that uh, have no mode at all. It's like commodity type business, right? Say, say for example, like within a uh, chip industry, right? Uh, I think the memory chip uh, compared to like the uh, chip that TSMC are making for Apple, right? The memory chips, they are like completely different. They are like like very commodity like because uh, among different uh, producers, right? They are like the same. Like if you buy, you want to buy a RAM for your computers, right? Uh, different brand. I think I think the difference is not so big. So that's why it become a cyclical because if the price drop, right? All these producers will keep on dumping, uh, and there's not much pricing power uh, among them, right? So that makes them become cyclical, and cyclical stocks, right? Their their volatility will be a lot higher. Also, I think companies like oil oil stocks also considered cyclical, but for payment companies like Visa, Mastercard, I think these are not considered uh, cyclical stocks. Uh. they are just like uh, they they are just like the like most companies uh in the stock market. Like economy doing well, they usually tend to do well, right? I think most companies fall into into this category. There, there will be some small category that is uh, considered the cyclical one. Like I mentioned, oil stocks, commodity companies, these, these are definitely cyclical. And then there's also defensive one, for example, like those uh, items that uh, regardless of how the economy doing, but you will still spend. Uh, for example, like those you know household uh, items that you are using, right? Other than these two groups, I, I believe others, uh, the rest will all fall into like the, just the normal, not 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 considered cyclical. Yeah. Either uh, either value or growth stocks, lah. So I, I understand now. Thanks, thanks, thanks a lot for yeah. clarifying. Yeah. Th- thanks. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Uh, how do you people balance work life and keep and keeping updated on so many single companies holding? <laughs> this is a fun one. Uh, who want to go first? No one is helping me answer all the questions. Uh, then I'll come back to Kelvin again. Eh. Kelvin, you want to share your, your tips? <laughs> I don't think my current lifestyle can resonate to many people. Uh, because I don't have a 9 to 5 job. So I don't know what to say. Also. <laughs> but when I used to have... Uh, uh, what I did, but, but well, at the time I was young, I was single, a lot of energy. So, uh, I read a lot of uh, those research uh, and uh, industry trends. Uh. I started with that, and then uh, I de- I determine uh, trends and uh, apply that to looking for companies that can uh, exploit these trends in the future. Uh. So then that and that's where I start though, and then uh. In terms of like, do I research every day or what? There's, there's no la. Usually when when I when I uh, decided on you know like two or three companies, so I will look into it. Uh, spend maybe uh, a, uh, an hour or so, maybe every two or three days, just try to keep up with some of the news, and then do a simple you know like projection. What would they? How would they? Uh, how would they grow in the future? You know, look at other people's. Uh, uh, research and then come to my own conclusions and then decide on the strategy. How would I want to invest in this? Maybe uh, a big a big portion at the start and then slowly add on, or maybe start a little bit first. 
And then uh, for monitoring wise, usually I don't uh, monitor like every day. I don't see the price movements. So what I do is I, I put alerts on my on my phone. Oh. So if there's like a big news coming up, then it will alert me. So there are a lot of tools nowadays, right? Last time I use Google Alerts. So it's quite, quite useful. And then um, I do uh, like... You know, read, uh, follow their annual reports and especially the earnings reports whenever available. Usually uh, on the day itself or maybe one or two days later, or I read uh, the transcripts in the, from Modiful. And then, uh, then as time goes on, it gets, uh, it becomes a routine. Uh, it's not, uh, I don't look at it as a chore. So uh, for those who maybe work nine to five and has family, right? I think maybe you can have like 30 minutes quiet time every day. Or maybe, you know, in the weekend before the kids wake up or something, you know, just catch up a bit. I don't think uh, investing could be, uh, could, I don't think investing uh, should take up too much time lah, unless you are taking it as a profession, like, you know, you day trade and everything. So, uh, but everyone has their own way of uh, working, right? So, uh, that's just my, my point of view lah, from my experience. But nowadays, because I don't have 9 to 5, so I, I also join communities all like this one so i share my thoughts and then you guys also when you read something you share right so it helps me reduce my uh time not to go through so many companies and uh we are also quite we, we all should be grateful uh, that you know when the pandemic happened that everyone uh started to build up so many of these communities so it helps a lot okay as compared to when uh i mean i started like 12, 13 years ago, right? It was very lonely. And the most also is forums, but forums, you know, you, you also don't know who is who and, and what is real. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my two cents. Uh. Yeah, thank, thanks a lot for the sharing. Yeah, I think that definitely all this community helps, right? And if you say, if you just want to get all the latest information, I think Twitter is a good way, right? If you know Twitter, you can follow uh, certain people that you respect uh, or you trust, and then you can follow certain stock ticker. And then maybe you just like scroll a bit, you can read like all those uh, headlines. And that can give you a bit of sense like what, what's happening, right? I, I think these are all um, really not not something that is necessary, actually. It's just like for curiosity, sometimes you just want to know what's happening, right? Even if you don't know all this latest news, because if you, as long as your, your investment style is like those, like similar to mine, which is like just buy the companies and then just hold it, right? Actually, all these daily news, uh, I would say 90% of them are actually noise now. So you don't really need to follow all of them. Uh, like just, just, uh, I think, yeah, really, most of them are noise and then not many important news, actually. And if there's any important news, people will discuss about it. Uh, and then anyway, we are in, in all this group, right, we will uh, hear about it. Uh, I think that's that's one thing. Uh. Um, and then second thing I would say that uh, also depends on like how much you filter out, right? Because it is very taxing to our like energy if everything to you is important, right? So for example, like, you know, we have like thousands of companies and then you, if you say, okay, I, I, I'm looking for companies to invest. I need to know all of them. I need to know all the news, right? It becomes too taxing, right? So what can help us is actually knowing what we want to focus on. And then uh, we need to filter out those that we don't like now, or it's not just, uh, we, we, we have no intention to invest, right? Say for example, like, um, I share about my view on, let's say, uh, commodity stocks, right? 
Uh, I, I know some of them, for example, like, you know, oil stocks, uh, this could be like good investment if you're looking at, let's say, three or six months or, or even one year horizon, right? It could be good, right? Because oil price is, is high. But for me, I, I think this is not like a good investment for me to hold like five or 10 years, right? Because it is always cyclical. So let's say oil stock go up and then maybe one and a half years later, it could like crashing down or there could be some correction in oil price, right? I might need to sell, right? So because of all this nature, it doesn't fit my uh, preference and I just stay away, right? If I know I will stay away from all these commodity uh, or oil stocks, right? Then any news of Chevron or like uh, any oil companies, I will just filter out, right? So if I see, I actually don't see, it doesn't consume my energy uh, like even a little bit. So I don't care, right? So as long as you have all these proper like filter, right? Actually, it is it, not that taxing, you know? This one help you. Uh, I think the filter is always good to help you filter out the noise. Huh? So this one will take some time to, to develop the, the habit. Hmm. Uh, th that's my uh, just uh, two cents from me. Anyone want to want to give any response on this? Just something to add on. Uh, even if you get the news right, usually as a retail trader, you you are too late to react already. One. So that's that's why it's actually not really important for you to keep up uh, right on the dot. So what I would say is that after you read some news, right, you have to think to yourself, uh, how would this impact? in the future, uh, how, how would this be a long-term impact? Then only you, you make your own decision because usually the, the reaction time, you, it's impossible that you'll be faster than the, the market one. Yeah, that's true. And actually, I do it the other way around, which is that, let's say, um, you know, every morning I would take like 15 minutes uh, just to look at which stocks, uh, I mean, the price movement, uh, as, I'll focus on those like have huge uh, movement. Then, then if there's a big movement, right, and if I'm interested with that companies, uh, then I will just look up if, if there's any significant news. Uh. So I use the price movement to to become like my, uh, you know, point to me like, okay, I might want to look at this company just to see what, what's happening. Uh. So, you know, I, I know all this is just like, uh, just to address the curiosity, uh, curiosity, not so much like uh, after I read the news that I will know what to do and try to outperform. Right? Not, 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 not the case. Nah. So it doesn't help at all because like uh, Kevin just mentioned, we are always uh, behind those who have, th those who actually spend a lot of money to acquire the news before other read it, right? So we are always behind. Nah. So maybe don't bother so much. Nah. But, but on the curiosity side, I think that's, uh, I will consider as entertainment <laughs> for, for me personally. So uh, yeah doesn't help with the investment, but at least I'm entertained. <laughs> okay. Um, anyone else? If not, we continue. Uh, at what point should one call it quicks and just buy index ETF rather than pick single stocks? Example, three years of underperformance. This is also a fun one. So I'll come back to Kelvin again. Anyone else before Kelvin <laughs> want to hear your speak, uh, your, 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 Suggestion is three years enough. But shouldn't, but, but shouldn't uh, ETFs also be part of your portfolio if you wish to diversify to hedge against all the, if let's say you somehow happen to pick lousy stocks, or, then the ETFs are supposed to be the one help, helping you to mitigate those losses. Man. Am I right to yeah. think it like that? Yeah, yeah. actually, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, actually, I was think even more extreme yeah, is that I, I know there are quite a number of people when it comes to investing, they will say, okay, um, yeah, I, I started out investing, right? I should buy companies, right? Uh, buy Apple, Tesla, buy uh, bank stocks, whatever, right? They will start out with single names. Uh, 
I think that shouldn't be the way. Actually, we should all start up with like just the passive uh, ETF, right? It could be like S&P 500. It could be like a VT ETF or those VWRA, those that cover global ETF, right? You, you should actually start from that, uh, especially if you don't have any like uh, strong view on any companies, right? So say, say S&P 500, you start from S&P 500, you can actually build a portfolio, let's say for anyone that's new, right? You could actually build it to uh, 10,000, 20,000, even 50,000, right? And if you are happy with that, then just continue with that. It will be a like a standard good kind way, how to say, good way to invest, right? And then from there, if you say, okay, now I have a good portfolio of diversified uh, companies already and I have preference on certain companies. Let's say you say, oh, I, I like Apple as an investment, right? Then you might say, okay, and then why not I allocate out oh, 50,000, I allocate 5,000 into Apple and see how it goes, right? Whether it could outperform because I, I buy Apple, I think that Apple will do better than S&P 500, right? Then you can do that, right? You, it, whenever you steer away from the passive, you should ask yourself like, okay, with this pick, right? Be better than uh, the, the default, which is the passive ETF. And then I, I will say that actually most people should should have at least a portion of their assets uh, into passive ETF. Uh, I think that's a, a good idea because, you know, if we just invest in single names, right, a single company, right, uh, like you could pick like three or five companies and then even if they underperform the market for like two or three years, if you don't invest in ETF, you don't even know like actually your portfolio is like lagged behind the benchmark. And you, if you are not good at picking stocks, right, why continue to do so, right? Why not just uh like just just get the passive ETF? Because that one you are guaranteed to get the market average return, you know. It's not necessary to make money. If you invest in SP 500, drop by 30%, you still lose money, right? But at least that's the average of the market. And, and that one, you, you are mathematically guaranteed to get that kind of results, right? Yeah. So so I, I, I do agree with you. Yeah, because actually, uh, my way of passive investing is via the robo-advisors. Uh, I just started out like two, one to two years ago for hmm. uh, using using those tools. Uh, so that's why I felt that yeah, it only now recently that yeah, I... Uh, decided to go into uh, single stock investing. Uh. So, of uh, course, inspired by yourself and like there, people like Darren, right? Uh, long Tesla, Long Apple, these are two companies that I personally also, after reading so many resources, I am also personally convinced. Uh. So, that's why uh, I felt that, so as long as we have a, like a backup, which is your passive investing, venturing into single stocks is still... It's, it's a risk we nest, we have to take while we are young. Don't, don't do that while we are like a bit uh, as we age right? and we don't have that kind of time horizon anymore to weather out any uncertainties. That's, that's what I have learned from you all. Yeah. yeah, I think for those who pick single companies, right? Uh, usually, this group of investors, they have a very strong view onto certain, let's say, sectors, certain way of investing, certain companies, right? So this is like not a normal investor you know like like they are very passionate on to one company or, or a couple of companies right so not everyone should invest like this um you know because if you invest in single companies right you still need to like okay uh, you are passionate about it and then you will read about it it becomes that there's a there's a cost in terms of time right you spend time to know about it but if you're really passionate about it then it, it's not something that's taxing it becomes something that you enjoy 
but for I would say let's say let's say seventy or eighty percent of the investors, right? Um, like picking stock is just not their something that they enjoy, right? Then they shouldn't do it. Um, they should just uh, invest and get the market average, which is something that is good return already. And they, they are guaranteed not to underperform the market, you know. So that to me, that's a very good uh, proposition. <laughs> At least they save the time, right? And still get a, a decent return, right? Yeah, that, that is always the best fallback plan, you know, fallback. Yeah. It's all, then only when you are, uh, uh, gather a bit more interest yourself, uh, then you only then start to stop it a bit. Uh, at least personally, after all these learnings, that's what I feel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For, for those who stop pick, if you try to convince them to say, okay, you shouldn't stop pick, you should just buy uh, index, right? I think also don't have to do that because it's like someone that is very passionate about like collecting some toys, right? And then you just tell him that actually you shouldn't uh, focus so much, uh, put so much money buying all this uh, toy collection. You, you should actually uh, like uh, put your money into investment, right? Now, they, they won't like... To, to them, it's like, why why you care so much about how I allocate my time and money, right? I, I enjoy doing this. Then they will just continue doing that, right? So I think that's that's okay as well. But it should be something that, is, uh, that, that they enjoy. Now. So let's say another person that don't enjoy picking stocks, but they force themselves to do it, then uh, I, I think that's something that's quite funny. Yeah, should, should, shouldn't be like that. Yeah. Totally so fair. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's preference. Uh, each, each of us are different, right? We have different preference. Okay, but come back to these questions, right? Uh, like I, I do get the points of the question. I, I think the person is asking like, okay, if you try out with stock picking and then you, you have some result, right? You could be like one year, you, you outperform the market, then maybe two years, you underperform. And, and then you, you should review your result, right? And assess whether you are good at picking stocks, right? Uh, and then is three years really enough uh, to to judge whether your uh, your stock picking skill is good or not. Now I think that's the question. Now I'll answer first, and then see anyone want to add anything. Uh, I would say that actually th even three years, right, with uh, stock picking is not long enough to tell you whether uh, you are good stock pickers because you could be right. Uh, or you could be like picking all the good, uh, make the, all the good, how to say, the correct decisions, but the market just uh, disagree with you and the market could disagree with you for like three to five years. So even if you look at in the past, right, if you look at Tesla, which already outperformed the market by huge margin, right? But if you look at the past, it, there could be like period, let's say like two or three years period, right? That Tesla just underperformed the market by like, 30 percent kind of range you know like a huge margin they underperform and they don't underperform like just three months six months those short-term fluctuation right it's really like long period of time right but if your thesis is, is long term if you just stay longer then you, you it could pay off right but let's say if you invested in your company your pig and then it just underperformed for three years and then you say i'm not good at it and you just sell and then it just shut up right then it's also quite painful so it's not a uh, easy question to, to answer. I would say that three years, uh, if even three years is too short, uh, you might need, let's say like three, five, if three to five years or even slightly longer just to know that whether your picks is the right one or not. That, that's my first uh, uh, view on that. Now. But at the same time, right, there are people that, okay, they, they choose certain companies, right? And then um, the stock drop or the stock underperform the market. 
and they are too confident that they are right uh, when it comes to stock pick. They say, oh, everyone is uh, wrong. I'm actually right. Uh, it's just the market disagree with me. They will, they will eventually agree with me. Uh, so I will just have to wait, right? So they could average down. They could uh, just keep on waiting. And then if the business continue to like underperform, right? The fundamental of the business keep deteriorating, right? Uh, I've seen example that companies actually like just, they, they could lose like 80% of their worth by just after the, the drop, you know, like for example, after they drop, drop by 30%, they say, okay, I'll just wait for it to recover, right? Then they wait for another three years or, or even longer and that remaining 70% also gone. So <laughs> there, there are cases like that. Uh, I, I mean, when companies are fundamentally deteriorating, that there's no no bottom that they can drop, right? They can keep on dropping until like disappear from, from bankrupt, right? That, that's definitely possible, right? So you also need to be sensitive to like, okay, uh, whether this is like, like, like you are confident on yourself, it, the, the risk is that you are the one that could be wrong, right? So, so that's why I say it's uh, not, not an easy way. La. So it could be, so there are two, two risks here. Risk number one is that you thought that you are wrong and then you give up. And actually you are right. So this is the first type. Second type is that you, you strongly believe that you are right. And then actually you are wrong and you keep on throwing money in and average down and all the money just gone, right? That's also another type of risk. Uh, which one is more painful? Uh, I, I can't say. I guess the second one is more painful because that's real money that, that you lost, right? The first one is just like, okay, if you give up and move to S&P 500, it shoot up 10x. That's just opportunity uh, that, that you're missing, right? maybe still okay. For some people, they will say that, okay, if you shoot, shoot up by 10x, the, the opportunity, the 10x opportunity that you miss right, is much more bigger than your portfolio. I think that's also true. So I think no no simple answer. Uh, my suggestion is that just uh, be objective about the situation. Um, don't, just because you invested in the company, don't, don't uh, emotionally too attached uh, because once you are emotionally too attached with any companies, right, then it might actually influence your, your view, right, because you are no longer uh, objective about it. So I think that's something that uh, it could be, become a blind spot for you. Uh. So maybe talk to people. So let's say if you, you are in, in this kind of situation, right, maybe we can talk to uh, uh, people that have like different views, someone that you respect uh, at least so that you can hear the counter -argu arguments, right? And then from there, just have an objective opinion and make make the decision accordingly. Okay, well, long, long answer from me. Uh, just want to stop here, see anyone want to respond uh, on this. I think it is also important to know uh, the reason for the underperformance. Uh, like what Punti said just now, is it is it due to my inability or is it because the markets are unfavorable at that time, right? So uh, I think the, the, one, the most important thing is to, to know why you are underperforming uh, rather than just saying that, okay, after three years, if I don't beat it, I will go to ETFs. So because in my opinion, right, uh, the, the real wealth is really made when you can, you know, beat the market. Uh. If you are just following the market, it's quite hard to really uh, get a life-changing kind of money. Uh. So <clears throat> everyone should have uh, a chance at it as well. So, uh, well, different people, different folks got different strokes. Uh. So some of them are risk averse, right? So uh, I can't say for every everyone, but 
more often than not, uh, real life-changing money is, uh, comes from those who take the risk. Uh. Well, what about um, SDI? Uh? You know, like but when I look at the SDI, uh, um, it looks like a basket of um, white elephants, uh. <laughs> except some banks and REITs. Uh. Yeah. So, you know, what about the SDI? Is it, uh, it's also an index, um, but uh, yeah, seems pretty lackluster. Yeah, I think some people, uh, they equate index to like the whole stock market, which is wrong. So you have to really see what constitute the index. Uh. So I'm not a, a, a well-versed with the Singapore uh, index, but I think it's mostly right finance, right? And it's also very tied to the Singapore economy. So that is also a, a issue. Uh. Some people, you, you, I mean, in, in most cases, you do not, instead of picking stocks, right? Sometimes you have to also pick the index. Uh, so it's not a... Uh, not not saying that any every index will be will be uh, performing well in the long run, <clears throat> but I leave it to others to to comment on on Singapore. Yeah, I think if you mention about Singapore SDI and then I, I mean just from your tone, right? I can sense that actually you you are not coming from like okay, I strongly believe that SDI will do well, right? You you're coming from a very skeptical kind of tone. That uh, what about uh, SDI, right? If you are skeptical on on SDI, then just stay away because to me, I mean, when I say about all these passive ETF, right, what I mean is that uh, truly like global uh, kind of like diversifications across uh, countries, across uh, sectors, right? Uh, that's why I always mention like, okay, uh, VT, ETF, VWRA, this kind of like really global. And I'm okay with S&P 500 as well, just because like US market is like more than half of the global uh, ET, uh, global equities, right? So that one I will consider as truly diversified. But come back to SDI, right? This is uh, a 30 stocks that is in Singapore, which is like a very tiny economy out of the total global economies, you know? So it's very, very small and it's almost like become like a, um, how to say, like a sector bet, you know? Like very small kind of niche sector bet. Like for example, someone mentioned about the Hang Seng Tech ETF, right? And say, oh, so Hang Seng Tech ETF, this is a passive uh, investment, right? And it could still drop by a huge percentage, right? That doesn't, it's, it, it's as if like the diversification doesn't help uh, at all. But you have, have to, you have to understand, right? Hang Seng Tech ETF are those companies that is listed on Hong Kong Stock Exchange and they only focus on uh, tech companies. So it's become very niche. Same for SDI, I would say that this is also very niche in the sense of they only exposed to uh, mainly uh, exposed to Singapore economy, and then is uh, like higher co concentration or exposure into um, three banks, uh, SGX and also Singapore REITs. So it becomes very niche, uh. and if it's niche, right, it's good for those who really strongly believe that okay, I, I really think that Singapore banks REITs are good investment. And to make it simple, I don't want to pick, like, like choose which out of that three, which one is the best. And out of so many risks, I don't want to choose uh, which one is the best. Then I just get SDI ETF as something like a basket, right? Then I think it, it makes sense to for this kind of people to, to buy into SDI ETF, right? But let's say if you are you have any doubt, right, you, you shouldn't uh, get into this kind of investment just because of it is kind of niche. Lah. Say, for example, like if you are uh, into... Let's say chip, right? I always take, take uh, all this uh, chip manufacturing in, or chip industry, uh, semiconductor industry, uh, uh, as an example. So, uh, I, I, think, I think people mention about like, uh, should I invest in 
SOXX, right? That's the semiconductor ETF, right? So I think my, my view is the same. That, that one is an ETF. It's supposed to be quite diversified because if you look at the list of the companies, right, it's not like 10 companies. It's more than that, right? And then uh, in terms of the semiconductors that is, that's in there, there's different type of semiconductor uh, doing different uh, value chain. So they are diversified from that sense. But it's still a semiconductor ETF, right? So it is very niche ETF. So you only buy that ETF if you are bullish on semiconductor. So same for SDI, you only buy SDI if you are very bullish on Singapore, right? So I, I think that's uh to put it simple, it's like that now. It's easier that way. All right. So sorry, can you repeat again? can hear but keep it short because uh quite soft at the, the sound hello 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 yes. now yes better yeah it's, it's better okay so um let's get back to the question about at what point should one call quits and, and buy index ETFs, right so if you look at the history in the past when buffett was running his partnership and he decided to stop his partnership because the market was getting very from tea means very very high so he encouraged all his existing shareholders uh, to, to actually go to a guy called Sequoia Funds, right? And that guy is called uh, William Run, Run or something like that. And he um, underperformed, underperformed the market for the next six years. So if your benchmark is to look at the market and think about, uh, look at the last three years of results and, and think that it's horrible, I need to quit, then you might be missing the boat. So I, I think... I shall speak for value investors because that's that's how I, I, I invest. If I want to know whether I'm on the right track, what I will do is I will lay out my ideas to somebody far more experienced and who had a very long and successful track record. And when I mean long, I mean more than 10 years. And I will tell him my thesis for a company and let him decide if I'm, I'm worth my sort. So that, that's how I decide whether I should continue to invest rather than just being looking at results and determining if you should continue. Yeah, that's all. Okay, thank, thanks a lot. Okay, um, now let's move on. I think there's still a couple of questions that we can go through, yeah? Thanks, Wunsong. Uh, okay, uh, Jay Powell said he will bring inflation down, the war not easing, and the commodity prices remain high. A few 0.5% possible. Will market react nasty if there's 0.5%? I think I'll go first. I think 0.5%, I think if you look at the CME website, right? Uh, I mean the implied probability. Uh, I recall it's more than 50% chance that we are going to see a 0.5% hike in the coming FOMC meeting. Uh, whether this is like a big thing or not, I doubt so because as you see, right? All this could happen. And before it happens, uh, the market already kind of expecting it to happen. So if market already expecting it to happen and it happened, right? It becomes something that is, uh, everyone knows. So no surprise here. Uh, if something that is not surprising that come up, right? Market will not, uh, move a lot just because of that news. Uh. So, uh, and even with a 0.5% increase, right? The cost of financing is still considered quite low at the moment. As of now, I think no issue. They could hide, let's say, even another 1%, still no problem, I would say. 
um, usually when it's slowly going up, right? It's not like now the news come out, the hike uh, in, it, it's effective and then we straight away see correction. Usually not the case. Usually the correction happen when uh, first, when market not expecting this kind of news that come out, right? Like all this tightening news, right? Market haven't, haven't uh, realized that this is coming and suddenly it's coming. Just the news that come out, right? It become a surprise news and then market might react. Okay. Uh, they might react uh, a lot or a little bit depending on how surprising it is. That, that's number one. And then number two is that once this, uh, all this like rate high, we're talking about like 0.5% or even 0.25%, right? You do it over like a couple of months, uh, one hike and then one hike and then one hike. After one and a half years, right? Suddenly we are not at 0.25% anymore. We, we, we could be at 25 or we could be at 3% already. That's the short uh, Fed fund rate, you know? So Fed fund rate is let's say 3%, right? Meaning that the mortgage uh, cost, mortgage financing, it could be higher, right? So let's say for us, we do, uh, we, we lend, take a margin from IBKR. There's a spread on top of those, all those uh, LIBO funding, right? Then we could be paying more. It could be like 4% that we are paying, right? And let's say at 4%, that's already become so costly that people were just like, okay, unwind their leverage. Uh, for those who want to buy house, they might not want to buy or they might not want to buy house at such a high valuation. They, they, they will try to lowball to, to buy houses, right? And then you will see that, okay, uh, that high interest rate started to affect the economy, slowing down the economy and helping to bring down the inflation, right? And that's when uh, we will see like, what's the impact that coming from all this rate hike. As of now, uh, we, I don't think we will see that soon, uh, at least for, I think even for this year, maybe we are not seeing anything yet. I'm actually much more concerned about uh, next year, just because all this rate hike, right? If they do it too fast and then it shocked the market and also something that is hard to manage. Now they communicate it uh, so clear that what will happen and then they gradually increase it. I think the downside of doing this is that uh, then people will just say, okay, uh, cost of financing will increase, but we just chill first because uh, the music is still playing. It's just that the volume has toned down a bit. Uh, the party ha hasn't end yet. And then the market is doing okay, right? Even now you look at S&P 500, how much it is down versus the 52-week high, right? It's not much, right? So I think the party is still, still going as of now. But end of the year, next year, who knows what could happen, right? Yeah. That's my take. Anyone want to want to comment on this? Okay, if not, let's continue the next one. Is anyone thinking that the US market is being too optimistic now? I think I've answered this one. Uh, yes, I think it is a little bit too optimistic now. Uh, it doesn't seem that market is uh, factoring all this like t tightening that's coming, right? But I'm not saying that market is wrong because let's say if the economy pick up, right? Uh, actually, economy is not doing badly now. Let's say if the inflation suddenly just cool down and then uh, the growth are all decent, right? And I don't think we are going to see a correction. It, it really depends on how the economy is doing, how the corporate is doing. So, so it could, the market could be right also. But I'm looking at the, let's say the index level as of now, we, we don't see any panic at the moment, right? <laughs> so that is my, my, my view. Anyone want to comment on this? Too optimistic? Ah, YCX is here. Kelvin, YCX, anyone want to give your comment?
No one? Okay, then we continue. Semicon took a beating last week due to analysts saying sales will go down. Good time to buy TSM UMC as pure foundry shortage is still high. Anyone from Semicon? Tim, uh, can you speak now? You want to give any view on this? Uh, I mean, about it. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, enjoy your day. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I, I think for, you know, analysts downgrade, right? I don't pay so much so much attention to this. Uh. For me, let's say I, I don't uh, comment on UMC. I haven't really focused on that. Let, but let's say come back to TSMC, right? I think their share price is still like, I think 105 or 106, that level, right? Still um, somewhat below their 52-week high, right? And there's still some concern. Uh, I think they, they drop after all this Ukraine war and then there's some supply chain issue also, right? That, that's all true. Um, actually, I don't focus a lot on this either. Uh, my focus is that I know, you know, they, they spent a lot of money onto the expansions, right? Uh, Arizona plants, and then uh, I think they're expanding in Japan as well. So all this expansion, we are not going to see the increase in production that soon. It's not going to be this year. It's not going to be next year. It could be like three or four years down the road, then we will see an uh, increase in the uh, uh, production, right? Uh, all this capacity take time to build, right? So my, my focus is really looking at, let's say, three or four years later. So whether uh, shortage is high, whether all, all these things, I, I don't really care. To me, it's that I, I buy now first, and then three or four years later, once you see they have like all this double-digit growth, and they usually they are able to maintain, let's say, like 40 to 50% gross margin, right? Then all this gross margin will flow into their, balance, uh, their, their income statement, and you will see that they are numbers will look good, uh, but that's not coming in soon. Uh. So, you know, uh, I'm investing this one for really for at least three, four, five years time, right? So I'm, I'm very patient about this. I do think that it's a good time to accumulate, uh, given that now the price is not so expensive, right? Uh, compared to, uh, fifth, I mean, previously. So I, I, will, I will still be accumulating. Uh, so that's my take on TSMC. But on this time, news specifically, I don't have a view. Uh. Mm. By the time there'll be a new uh, PC upgrade cycle, a new phase. Sorry, can you repeat again? What what upgrade is that? I, I can't really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there'll be a next uh, PC upgrade cycle, anyway. In terms of people switching their laptops and PCs. Now, pro product always uh, changing, right? So there will be different upgrades. So I think that's all good. <laughs> always push, help to push the demand, demand right? Yeah. So all good. Okay. Uh, anyone else? If not, we continue. Mm. What's the projected? Uh, sorry. What's the projected outlook of the macroeconomic situation given that there's a still made at the Ukraine Russia war inverted U curve etc. Anyone want to go? Want to give your comment on this? Okay, if not, uh, I'll just quick, quickly comment. But I don't have insight, uh, to be honest. Um, first, macroeconomic situations, very, very hard to predict. Uh, like, for example, like Ukraine-Russia war, geopolitical, also very hard to predict. So no insight here, no insight here. Inverted U-curve, whether it will come back again to a normal U-curve, uh, upward-sloping U-curve, right? It could happen, right? Or it could continue to invert. 
Um, I, I also don't know. Like all these, all these macro things, we can try to understand what's going on on the macro side, and then try to rationalize like why the stock market uh goes up or down, right? All, all these things we can try to rationalize, but it's very hard to have any insight like what will develop in the future, right? So I think understanding on all these macroeconomics uh is really will help with our investment decisions, stuff. So that's my take on on in general on, on these two uh, things. But come back to this inverted yield curve, right? Maybe I just take an opportunity to, to, to explain why, you know, inverted yield curve is something that uh, is quite helpful when trying to predict all these recessions, right? I think the, the reason is that if we look at stock market alone, right? Stock market is just part of the entire uh, capital market. Uh, the bond market is actually much bigger than the stock market. So if we look at the yield curve, what we are looking at is actually the bond market, right? So bond market, there are different types of bonds. There are long, there are short bonds, right? What happens when the yield curve, the yield curve inverted is that, for example, the 10-year yield, yield rate, right, is lower than the two-year rate. And this is very strange because usually if you lend your money to someone and that someone actually take your money away for, for 10 years, right? Usually you will demand for a higher interest rate. But when this uh, inverted yield curve happened, right? It, it become very strange whereby uh, someone tr try to borrow money from you. If he borrow for 10 years, then he get a cheaper rate, right? So this one actually doesn't make much sense one. But why these things could happen is also because of, you know, uh, the buying, the buy-sell decisions coming from the market participants. What it means is that there are a huge group of investors, right? They just channel their money into all these 10-year bonds, right? That actually push down the yield. What happens is that when they, they push their money or, or they channel their money into the 10-year bond, they actually push up the price of the 10-year bond, right? And the higher the price, the lower is the yield, right? So that's why it caused this uh, yield curve inversion, right? And the question is why so many people suddenly pile their money into the 10-year bonds, right? Uh, the long, so-called the longer bond, right? Why, why not they just buy a two-year bond or three-year bonds? And, and even though that two-year bonds can give them a higher yield, right? Why don't they buy that, right? The, the reason is that this only makes sense if they are very bearish on the market, right? Bearish on the economy. They say, okay, I don't care about... Uh, the yield is lower, but as long as I'm able to lock in, uh, let's say like a 2.5% uh, 10-year treasury rate, right? I'm able to lock in for 10 years, I'm good. I don't care about uh, like the two years because if the market is not doing well, the two-year rates might be slightly higher now, but after two years, it's mature, right? Then you get back the, your, your money and you need to reinvest. You might have to reinvest at a lower rates, you know? So, so that's why people are taking cue from the bond market as well uh, to judge whether the markets will be heading into recession or not. So that's why this is very powerful because the, the bond market, right, is much more bigger and uh, there are more institutional money uh, involved in the bond market. That's why the signal provided by the bond market could be something that is quite helpful because they do something that, uh, I mean, stock market participants, right, like equity market uh, investor, they don't see. So they only look at a subset of the total, right? Which is a smaller subset. But for the bond market, it's a, it's a bigger one. So I just want to share a bit on, on why this is something that's quite interesting. And uh, when it comes to pricing power, also uh, like quite a, quite a good track record. Now. 
Is it because they view it as a safe haven? Uh, that's why like all the money is going there, like even the institutional investors. Uh, yes, you are right. Uh, you can say that when money channel into bond market, right? Then this bond market to them is like a safe uh, haven. They put there first, maybe temporary. If the stock market drop, they could switch, uh, switch back, right? That's true. But just by money flowing into bond market, right? It will not cost the inverted. It will not cost the yield curve to invert. Because if the money flow into different uh, maturity, right? Like equal, like same amount of money buying two-year bonds, same amount of money buying like the 10-year bonds, right? By right, the yield, the entire yield curve will shift down. You know, because you are bidding up the price uh, for the two-year bond, you are bidding up the price for 10-year bond, right? And then the two-year rate also drop. The 10-year rate also drop, right? By right, it shouldn't uh, invert, right? The reason it invert because there's preference between like different maturity, right? That's why, and why suddenly people want to lock in the yield for longer, right? That's the question that we, we need to understand, right? Because usually when people just want to lock in for as long as possible, right? Uh, that's also another message to tell you that, okay, this group of people, they actually uh, is bearish about the, the economy. I see, I see, understand. Yeah. And, and of course, these are not just like, you know, like all these investors, they, they beat up, or it's not purely just trading activities because there are all uh, other factors. For example, the two year is also affected by the Fed policy, right? Because Fed policy, the Fed fund rate is actually the shortest uh, end, right? And that shortest end uh, will influence the two year rate as well. Just because of all these, uh, it, it, sometimes it's like mathematics, uh, uh, they have to derive the forward rate and so on. So that one is a bit uh, technical, so I don't, I won't go into the details. But there, there are different factors as well. But just looking at uh, two year and ten year, usually invert when the ten year rate just drop a lot, right? Yeah, or doesn't doesn't increase proportionally with the two year rates, and, and we need to find out the reason why that it doesn't increase now. Okay, um, let's move on. Okay, this one. Uh. Will USA still be the big boss for decades to come? US like losing grip of power, like fall of Dutch and British Empire. What if China takes over? <laughs> wow, this is getting like uh, Joe, uh, Joe Politics talk show already. A anyone, this is like, uh, I think Corey, Corey, you want to <laughs> give your view on this? I think you, you have some view on this also, right? Or, or Maximus? Uh, can, you listen? can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, yeah. Uh, I think this is too far out. It's, yeah, it's, I don't think it's like... You see, if there, some people have a lot of uh, nationalistic view, right? Especially like China, you know? But when it comes to investment, if you if you use politics, political view, and, and you put your investment, your money there, I think it can be very painful, uh, when uh, it doesn't materialize, uh, but anyway, I think it's 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 very hard to determine. But uh, if China coming up, it's like it's still to me it's still quite distant. Uh, but you want to put your money all in China, <laughs> I think the risk is very high. Uh, so it still has to be size your portfolio accordingly if you're really interested. For me, I'm totally out of China now. All right. <laughs> okay. Thanks. 
Hayden, you want to comment on this or Kelvin? <laughs> Anyone else want to comment on this or not? If not, uh, I'll just quickly comment. I think they yeah, are very hard to know all this, right? Uh, my, my, my point, my view is that right now, I think US is still the superpower. And in terms of their allies, also they are all the superpowers, right? You just look at US plus Europe, plus Canada, um, Australia, and Japan, these are their allies, right? So you just add, add up all these uh, countries, right? I think they are still the, the dominant powers to the superpower. Um, then the other side, which is like uh, China, I think China is getting more influential as well, given that when it comes to uh, all these uh, productions and their, their market is also much, it's, it's much bigger, right? Especially if they are, how to say, they are, they are uh, GDP per capita increase, right? Uh, China ec economy will be like much bigger than uh, US economy. I think they will become more influential. But whether China will suddenly like become like uh, become the superpower and just uh, take over like so called takeovers, right? Uh, I don't think it will happen like anytime soon. Nah. But in terms of their soft power or hard power, I think they are, they are still gaining power. They are, be they are becoming more influential. And you can see that from the attitude, China is not something, uh, it's not a country that will just uh, bow to US, right? Um, and they have a lot of leverage when it comes to, let's say, like raw materials, uh, factories, all these things. It's, uh, basically, they are the world factories, right? So I think there will be more tension moving forward. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's a bit like, uh, like, what they call it, like, like the frenemies, right? So in certain area, they can work together. Certain area, because of the competition, they, they will compete with each other. But I think this is the way forward. Lah. But when it comes to investment, yes, like uh, Corey said, right? I think we need to, like, if you really bet everything on China, not saying that this is like a bad idea or what, but just need to understand this is a kind of a very extreme view, lah. And maybe <laughs> I think it's it's not a good idea to like put on too much too much all this geopolitical view into your investment. A bit better just either indexing uh, or better focus on the individual companies. Look at their fundamentals. Uh. I think geopolitics is, is just too hard to 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 predict uh, and, and too too hard to make sense of. of. Yeah, I don't have much insight. Uh, that's all for me. Anyone else want to comment on this? I think the, okay. Yeah, I think the country's policies, uh, economic policies will drive a bigger part in helping us to make this decision. Maybe just to answer this question. So it's, it's just not sure whether you guys agree on this issue. Mainly how the countries, uh, how, how the leaders, how the country's leaders formulate their economic policy will largely influence how the uh, relevant companies within their country will be. You know how, how they were, how they will be operating from here on, and then that can help us as investors to make this correct decisions. All right, don't, don't leave the geopolitics out. It's better we will be more objective. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, like you said, all these like 
government policies, right? There are so many things that government can do that could help certain companies and they could also destroy certain companies. I think this is definitely true. For example, if you all remember when Trump was elected, right? And, and then um, there's some concern on what kind of policy that he would uh, enact and then the stock market actually dropped uh, for a while, right? Then after that, uh, when he became president and then he suddenly just do a tax cut, right? And all like all stock market just rally, right? You know, they just play around with all this tax policy. Uh, let's say if they, you, you invest in tech companies and uh, the regulators just step up on their antitrust effort, right? Also can hurt all these companies. I think all these uh, regulations, it could come from US side, it could come from China side, right? All this definitely will affect the companies. That's, that's true. But if you come back to this question asking about like, okay, could uh, actually China take over US and then uh, all this like very, very like geopolitical uh, tension, I think it's, it's much more harder to predict. But come back to all those like uh, domestic uh, government reg regulations, right? I think that one you still can understand like uh, what kind of policy that you're expecting and whether they are good or bad for the companies, right? That one I think is something, it, it's an external factor for the companies, but still a, quite an important one. We need to know the landscape that they are operating in. And if you are not comfortable with the kind of risk, right, then maybe you know what to avoid, right? Yeah. Okay, um, let's move on. Uh, to all oh, three months into 2022, what are some of the lessons learned, be it experienced personally or from others, such as trade or from book, blog posts or YouTube? This one, I, I'll go first because uh, I remember there are some, one, one friend here in our group, right, that mentioned about like margin liquidation and then just suffer a, a, a margin, that means margin liquidations. Lah. So actually the broker just help him to cut the position at the worst timing, right? So I think this is still a good learning point for me as well. Uh, although let's say uh, my own portfolio, I don't leverage much, right? Very, very small leverage. I try to play safe, right? But all this uh, margin always puts someone at risk, right? Because I recall that because like I, IBKR also sent me a couple of uh, notifications saying that they changed the margin uh, I don't know what they call it, the percentage margin, right? Meaning it just one changes, suddenly you put yourself at a greater risk of uh, margin call or margin liquidations, right? And we have seen people experience this in the past three months. Now. So I think this is definitely a learning point, especially given that, you know, companies that cause all this margin liquidation are companies like uh, CE Limited, right? You just need to go back to, I think, uh, let's say five months back, right? This company, people are still talking about like, oh, it could go to one trillion valuation. And then just within three or four months period, it could drop by 60 or 70%, right? It's even more and faster than Alibaba, right? We talk about Alibaba for, I, I don't know, like one year already. Uh, Silly limited just dropped same magnitude in like three months, right? I think this is something that is really quite a surprise for me. Luckily, I don't have a huge positions. If not, if my, my portfolio will be very pain painful as well. Lah. But uh, I, I would say I empathize a lot on uh, with, with the friends that actually uh, affected by the margin call uh, in, in companies, in high growth companies. But I think the takeaway here is that uh, we really need to like appreciate that or, or recognize that all this price movement, right? Sometimes they could be quite stable for a long period of time and suddenly they become volatile. They could become very volatile and they can drop quite a sizable uh, magnitude. So we need to be aware of that and don't margin and don't 
like sell all this put option to the extent that you don't even know how much risk that you are taking, right? So be careful and spend more time to know to learn about the risk management. Okay, uh, that's just from me. Anyone else want to share? I think this is a good question, right? You can share anything that you like, any 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 lesson that you have learned. I won't call the names. Uh, anyone want to share? Just just unmute. Anyone? So quiet. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's say you're shy to talk. Maybe you can share in the group also. I think this is definitely, I, I, I mean, something happened. That's why we have some, some uh, lesson learned, right? It could be from us personally. It could be from someone else. I think, uh, let's say if one person make a mistake and then 10% can learn from it, I think definitely something that's good, right? It's always good to, to have this kind of sharing. But okay, I think that's uh, for this question. Okay, this is two part. Let me read out the questions. Uh, good morning. I would like to ask how does withholding tax and expense ratio works when we buy or sell S&P 500 like CSPX or SPI through TD or IBKR? CSPX withholding tax is 15%. How does that work? I sell one CSPX at 450. I receive only 382 US dollar. Thanks in advance for the clarification. So uh, I think this is uh, quite simple. Actually, the withholding tax, right? You know why? Why it is called as is known as withholding. So the question is, who withhold the money, right? It's actually withhold by the brokerage, and they take the money, pay to the government, right? And specifically, they pay to US government, and what kind of money that they withhold? They actually withhold the dividends. So to put it simple is that if you buy and sell, it doesn't affect how the tax, how the withholding taxes is on the dividend. Say for example, if you uh, buy an investment, uh, you, you buy a dividend stocks, right? 10,000, you receive, uh, let's say 500 dividends, right? Out of that $500 dividend that you receive, right? Actually, 150, I mean 30%, right, will be paid to the government and you always, you only receive the 70%. So it's always uh, something that is uh, applied on the dividend amount that you, you're going to receive. That's why when we're comparing, let's say, SPY versus CSPX, right, you might want to say, okay, because CSPX is, we have the tax is 15% and SPY is 30%, right? The difference is 15%. So you only need to take the 15% multiplied by the dividend you, right? Uh, I don't know how much the dividend yield, let's say if it's like 1.5%, right? You just take the 1.5% multiplied by the 15% uh, difference, right? You get something like 20 basis point difference, right? So that one become a cost or a difference uh, by investing into like island domicile fund versus a uh, US uh, listed ETF. Uh. So I think that's uh, something that you might misunderstood previously because you thought that this is a capital gain tax, right? It is not, it is a dividend withholding tax. I think I answered this question, uh, should be a, a simple one. Let's say if you're not, uh, like you, you're not clear, then maybe you can just let me know. So I think that's it. Okay, I think we all clear all the questions here. We still got a bit of time. Anyone want to raise any topic that you just want to like bring out for, for our discussion? I think we can go on for like, let's say 10 or 15 minutes more if you guys are still here. <laughs>
anyone any topics anything any news that you are following that you want to share all right if no news let me take a look at the chat group as well because you know when i'm doing all this uh like the tcss right i don't not able to monitor the chat group uh, uh cannot multitask yeah. okay chat group also quite quiet okay um just a small announcement actually yesterday i went out uh i met up with chicken just to do an interview with him, uh, asking me some questions. He also interviewed me. Uh, we'll take some time to edit the videos, uh, hopefully by, let's say, Thursday this week. I, I hope I have some time to edit and then uh, I'll share with you all. Um, I think that's an interesting conversation. And if you all like all this uh, collaboration, then I, I'll just like get some help from you all to like maybe like the video youtube video and then give some comments there i think it helps with the algorithm as well um okay i think that's all from me anyone else like just anything to bring up if not we will end the call here all right then enjoy the lunch everyone thank you so much for coming all right See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.